How many languages do you speak fluently? For some of us, two, maybe more for lucky, but the world has always had different spoken languages. But now our culture communicates in a way that no other culture has before. We speak the language of digital. And the next generation, our kids who are under the age of 18, are native speakers. It's in their DNA. So how do we share the message of God's love in a language that they can understand? How do we personalize it for them when it might be kind of foreign to us? That's today on the podcast. Hey, it's Marisa from the Tower Hill production team. Thank you so much for listening into our Tower Hill podcast. Whenever or wherever you're listening, we hope this podcast blesses you, and we hope that you feel free to share it with someone that you know. We are on our second installment of the current sermon series called It's Personal, Helping the Next Generation Win. And Pastor Jason is really teasing out all the different ways that kids are growing up today. Their world is different than it was for us, but the love of God remains the same. So how can we personally help these kids know and share the love of Jesus Christ? Let's check it out right now. We've been talking over the last couple of weeks about really the response, that God has called us to something, and that something is all about transferring our faith to the next generation, helping the next generation win. And so we've called this series, It's Personal. And really, this is an opportunity to talk a bit about what's happening in the church in the United States and what's happening here at Tower Hill. And it gives you an idea of our vision for this upcoming year. We're ending our program year, getting ready for the next year. And so a lot of this has to do with what we've been talking about uh, behind the scenes as far as what our church needs to do to continue to move the ball down the field for the sake of the mission. Last week I told you a little bit about this book, this really great book about change called Canoeing the Mountains by uh, Todd Bolsinger. If you missed that, he wrote this book about church leadership in the 21st century and said that church leadership is a lot like what Lewis and Clark had to deal with in their 1803 core of discovery. Like Lewis and Clark, we need in America to do adaptive change. And adaptive change begins with, I don't know. I don't know how to solve this problem. Now, to remind you, Lewis and Clark, they were commissioned to find a navigable water route to the Pacific Ocean. And they were supposed to explore the area of the Louisiana Purchase in order to do it. And everybody thought they were going to get to the headwaters of the Mississippi, and then they would just canoe all the way down the Pacific Ocean. And then all of a sudden, they get there, and they see the Rocky Mountains. Like, um, this plan's not going to work. We can't canoe over the Rocky Mountains. And so they had to figure out, well, what are we going to do? I mean, again, Lewis, Meriwether Lewis was a... Uh, expert river navigator. That was the whole reason Jefferson picked him. It's like, well, I got to throw out everything I thought I knew because the terrain in front of me is not what I expected. And if the mission's big enough and important enough, we're going to find a way forward. Well, this is the same. I agree with Todd Bolsinger. This is the same with the church in America. And the answer is, we don't know, but we got to figure it out. We've talked about these stats, I'll just go through them quickly because you've heard me say this before, but again, in the United States, 4,000 churches close their doors every year, never to reopen. 2.7 million members become inactive every single year. The average church size in America is 75, and the PCUSA, our denomination, has just been hemorrhaging people. Actually, if you look back at our history... We, we came, the Northern Presbyterian Church and the Southern Presbyterian Church came together 
in uh, 1983. But if you go all the way back to when they were separated in 1965, we've been losing members. We've been declining every year since 1965. It's only become exaggerated in the last five to ten years. But one thing that I did say is, like, I'm not just going to bum you out, is that this church, you are a part of making a difference. And I want to say it. Like, no, we're not there yet. But there's a lot that we can celebrate and get excited about, about what God's doing in our midst. So I read an article this morning that was talking about that 73% of churches are in decline in America. 73%. Just let that sink in. There's about 384,000 Protestant congregations in America. 73% of them are in decline. Now here was something that I wasn't expecting that I thought was really cool. So there are, there's a category of churches called fast-growing churches who are growing by 5% or more each year. There's about 11,000 churches in America in that category. We're one of them. Tower Hill's one of them. Which is really exciting, but it's also, so as your pastor, I feel a sense of responsibility that I don't want to mess this up, what God's doing, you know what I mean? Like, I, want, I feel like it's a wave that we're riding right now, and I want to make sure we do everything in our power to catch it so we don't miss it. And this wave has everything to do with helping our next generation develop a deep-rooted faith in Jesus Christ. Honestly, that's why we spend so much time talking about the next generation, because it really is about our ability to hand it off. And the reason why the church has been in decline is because there's been bad handoff after bad handoff after bad handoff generationally. And I don't say that so that you feel guilty, like, well, I taught Sunday school, and then, you know, those kids didn't come back to church. Don't feel, it's not a personal responsibility, it's, it's a church responsibility that we just haven't been speaking the language of culture. But we can do something about that. One of the biggest challenges that we face, that the church in the 1950s and early 60s didn't face, is culture itself. The gravitational pull of culture is away from church. It used to be toward church. That's the biggest hurdle. You know that. They never used to schedule stuff on Sunday mornings. But now it's like just another day. Just another time of the weekend. Got to fit that baseball game in, Right? And I can say that because we, we're living that. We're living that as a family right now. But the piece that should get our attention, like it's great that we are making some forward progress, but we're not there yet. And here's why. I want you to look at this chart behind me. This is the percentage of people with a biblical worldview by generation. Now, it doesn't have the builder generation, Many of them, if not most, had a biblical worldview. But it does, their following generations, their kids, the baby boomers, only 10% would say they have a biblical worldview. 10% is according to Barna Research. That's even lower than I thought it was. And then my generation is much lower. The millennials, a tick lower. And then Gen Z, much lower. So if you look at just a couple generations removed, only 4%. Gen Z is 18 and under. Our 18 and unders, 4%. 
We got to do something about that. We got to do something about that. Our kids are worth it. We'll move heaven and earth for our kids. Let's do that with our faith as well. As I said last week, teens 13 to 18 are twice as likely as adults to say they're atheists. Now, you can, you can unpack that a little bit. You could soften it maybe and say, well, maybe there were always atheists in that group and they just didn't feel comfortable saying it. Maybe. But I don't think that's the whole answer. <laughs> I think we have a faith crisis on our hands when it comes to the next generation. Interestingly, you know, when you read the Bible, you're like, wait a minute, we've been here before. Judges 2, verse 10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Yep, we're experiencing that right now. So many kids, like me, when I grew up, so many kids were growing up just without even knowing what, what church is really about or, or what faith in Jesus is about. And some of that is because of generational baggage, like, oh, my parents made me go to church and I resented them forever for it. And, you know, like, like, it's all that stuff. And so I'm not going to do to my kids what was done to me because then I ended up hating church. Maybe they'll just find church on their own and then well, it doesn't exactly work that way. They need, they need some guidance. But you see, we've been this way before. The encouraging thing is the Lord knows exactly what to do. Every time. Like Nehemiah, we were talking about last week. It's one thing to be sad over the state of things, which is appropriate. But sadness with no action is ridiculous. We got to do something about it. We got to rebuild the walls. We got to take it back from the ground up. In many ways, reaching out to our young people. Last week, I asked you a question that I hope you considered, and that is this. What will you personally do to help the next generation win? The mountains are right in front of us. What are you going to personally do? And that's what this is all going to require. Action. And maybe for you, if you're like, I got no time in my life. Okay, what time do you have with your own kids? Invest in that. Invest in faith. Or what time do you have with your grandkids or great-grandkids? Or maybe it's, I can say, every Monday morning I can pray for the kids of this next generation for five minutes. I bet we could all figure out how to do that. What are you going to do? Because it is personal. That's the thing. It is personal. It's about handing down what matters most to the people who matter most. Robert Schuller, uh, this awesome, innovative preacher, very famous. If you, maybe some of you grew up, you remember watching on TV, was it the Power Hour? Hour of Power? Robert Schuller. And uh, you go to the next slide. Robert Schuller was an innovator. In fact, uh, he, so he was the pastor who uh, built the Crystal Cathedral, if you remember the Crystal Cathedral. But before that, he was doing some of the most innovative ministry in the country. 
Why? Because he realized that there was a generation of younger people who were not connecting with the language of church. So he wanted to do something different. He wanted to just figure out, what, what can I learn about this next generation? How can we reach out to them? So what he did, and some of you know this story. I've talked about this before. It's just incredible. Is he, said, is he had them come to a drive-in movie theater for church. Now, kids, you might not know what a drive-in theater is. <laughs> which is a shame. Wait, wait a second. That might be the biggest mess up of this generation. Like, what have we done? We've gotten rid of drive-in movie theater. Anyway. So in a drive-in theater, you pull your car up and you put the, this little speaker on your window. It feels like it's going to break. And you, t- and you turn it on and you can hear the sound of the movie. And everybody's sitting in their cars and watching on a big screen outside. So he did church that way. They actually brought in an organ and put it on top of the concession stand. And they did church at the drive-in. It was wildly successful. And when he was asked, what's the secret? I mean, first of all, that's insane. That's like insane behavior. Who does that? Somebody who's figuring out the needs of the next generation. And it looks totally different. But his mantra was this, and this was great. Find a need and fill it. Find a hurt and heal it. Find a problem and solve it. This is how you do ministry. And I think we could translate that to get to know the next generation, get to know the younger generations and find out what do they need? What are their pain points? How can we reach them with the good news of Jesus Christ? In what way should we reach them? What kind of language should we speak? This is all critically important if we're going to help the next generation win. Now, this doesn't mean you have to love everything about the next generation, right? There's stuff about the next generation you're like, no, I don't, I don't, it's not my favorite. But you got to know them. you got to know them in order to really love them. So, getting to know Generation Z. Let's start first with you. i got a question for you. In what ways... Is life different for kids today than when you were growing up? Right? So, and we could probably take a weekend to talk about this. I want you just real quick, turn to someone next to you and answer that question. In what ways is life different for kids today than when you were growing up? Introverts, again, I'm very sorry. I love what I'm hearing. Let's share a couple. Just put your hand up. Technology, yes, technology. Social media, absolutely. Only 12 channels. I heard over here only two channels on the TV. I don't know how old your parents are. I don't think they're that old. But lack of extended family support. That's a good one. Getting stuff instantly, not having to wait. I just ordered on Amazon. It's here tomorrow. Playing outside till the street lights came on. Let me remember that. Drinking water out of the hose. That's, <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. It's a totally different world. And... See, in order to really reach this generation, you really got to know and understand their life is so different than ours. We had to learn how to use technology. They were born with it. They were born with it. And so one of the things that we know about this next generation is they are digital in their DNA. They're digital in their DNA. They are DNA natives. This cartoon, in case you can't see it, right? Hi, sweetie. How was school today? You can read all about it in my blog, Dad. If you, if you have a computer problem, find an eight-year-old. 
They will take care of it for you. When my kids got their hand on like a, an iPad, they didn't, there was no intimidation factor. They weren't worried about breaking it like my mother. Oh my gosh, my mother with the computer. She was afraid to do anything. She thought it was going to break. I'm like, Mom, dude, relax. It's going to be fine. But my, but my kids, like, there was none of that intimidation factor. It's go, go, go. They, they seem to know exactly what to do. They never knew life without smartphones. They never knew that. I mean, it's just in their blood. It's in their DNA. And that matters. We call them the five-screen generation. It's the phenomenon that, you know, my kids, they could be doing their homework with the laptop open, with their smartwatch, and their smartphone, and their tablet, and the TV on. And somehow they're getting it done. Do you know, physiologically, what they've discovered is that this next generation of kids, they're actually processing and multitasking faster than kids' generations did before. That there's actually physiological things that are happening because they're digital in their DNA. I don't know if it's good or if it's bad. I just know it is. I just know it is. So we have to think about that when we're, for example, designing Sunday school programs. The second thing is that they are so driven. They're image and video driven. So that's why we had to change the whole way that we do Sunday school. We got, we got rid of kind of the traditional model of lecture-based, information-based teaching and more experiential. There's, there's information in there, don't worry. But it's more experiential. There's more technology involved. They learn more through video. They get a weekly video to get their content. And the video tells stories, and it's funny, and it's, di- it's just different. It's, it's like school changed, and the church has been really slow to catch up. In fact, they're so image and video driven. This is kind of amazing. So in his book, Marketing to Gen Z, uh, Jeff Fromm, he was a, a guest on a podcast that I have. He was really interesting. He was talking about marketing to the next generation. He's not a Christian guy. He's just from the marketing world. And here's what they've discovered in marketing, that any content that they try to sell for, for kids, right, and our kids are getting sold to more than any generation, getting marketed to, but our kids are onto them. They're really savvy. So what they discovered is their content, it's got to be authentic and it's got to be fast. They say they only have eight seconds to capture a kid's attention. Eight seconds. Their attention's already gone. Like, eight seconds. It's got to be seamless and consistent with whatever they're doing, whatever platform they're using. It's got to be friendly. It's got to be human. It can't smell like, like a robot. It's got to be humorous, compassionate, and it's got to feel secure. And they got to check all these marks off if they're going to hope to market to Generation Z, the next generation, the 18 and unders. That's a lot of pressure. That's a much different world than even the generation before them. Here's the other thing about Generation Z, is that they're very future-focused. They're actually very optimistic about the future, more optimistic than, than the millennials are, or Generation X. They feel like there's opportunity in the world. The world got a lot smaller, and they feel like that their best days are ahead of them, that they, there's some real possibility in front of them. They're future-focused. They're thinking about college and career in a, in a deeper way. And then the fourth thing, interestingly, they're both traditional and nonconformist. 
What they're finding is that this generation of kids connect with their grandparents with some traditional values more than they connect with their own parents, and yet they're nonconformist in their behavior. They think globally and locally. It's not just buy local, buy local and care about global. It, it's, it's this interesting paradox of all this stuff coming together. They value hearing the stories generationally. But they might want to live out those stories a little different, but with the same values. Right? They care about family. They care about connection. They care about meaning. They care about routine. Somebody said in the earlier service, it's like, it used to be that nothing else was going on Sundays, and you had a family day and a family meal. Our kids actually crave that. We're just not always able to do it, to pull it off. And then this leads to the fifth one. They crave community. They crave community. They experience, their experience of my kids' generation, and some of you kids who are here, I would say young people, 18 and younger, is that you experience a lot of virtual community, which in and of itself is still a version of real community. Like you are really talking to people, you are really having conversations and connections. But the downside is, is that this generation has to be shown that personal, in-person, face-to-face community is different, and it matters, and you need to be part of it. There's actually something physiological that happens with us when we shake somebody's hand or give someone a hug or a pat on the back. There's something physiological that you can't get from a virtual relationship. That's why nowadays you have to schedule play dates with kids. I don't know, when I was growing up, that was never a thing. Just go play, find some kids. Right? It's okay. It's not better. It's not worse. It's just different. And we have to understand the difference if we're going to hope to reach them. Back to the marketing book, he says this. He's like, yeah, all that stuff about communication is important, but don't forget this. He He says, Gen Z is communicating faster than you can plan, learning faster than you can teach, and consuming faster than you can create. So take a deep breath and stop trying to get it perfect. Instead, just get real. In their book, Growing Young, Kara Powell, Brad Griffin, Jake Mulder, they're at a Fuller Seminary. They, they did a survey of 250 congregations and 1,300 young churchgoers between 15 and 29. So it got, went a little bit older. But what they found, the number one thing that they all cared about when it came to what makes you feel connected with church or why do you come to church It wasn't because our church has a fog machine. Although that would be cool. I'm just saying. (laughs) Little laser lights. Come on. But it's not that. It's not the technology per se either. However, they expect the technology to be there and to work. Does that make sense? In other words, a a kid's not going to come to church because, wow, they got a big screen. That's not a draw. It was once. It's not. It is expected to be. Yeah, there's a screen. How else are we going to see? But they're drawn to actual personal relationship. It says they craved authentic connection. That instead of cool church, we should be thinking about warm church. Warm is the new cool. In other words, 
Young people feeling like they're connected, that they're loved, that they're accepted, that they have real community. That is what helps them get connected with their faith. And I think this is great news for the church because what other intergenerational organization exists that's built exactly to do that? We are perfectly primed to reach the next generation for Jesus. Let's not miss this wave. I love this story of Jesus, and I think he really sets the pace for us in the next generation from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Let's start with verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. Now, why would they do that? Why would they rebuke him? Because they thought that Jesus shouldn't have to spend time with the like, kids kind of weren't worth Jesus' time. Jesus had much more important things to do. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. I'm <laughs> like, I don't know about you, I really don't want to do something that makes Jesus indignant. That would scare the stuff out of me. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now watch Jesus like double down here. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. I think like Jesus, our whole job is to wrap our arms around this next generation and bless them however we can. They don't just get a seat at the kids' table in the backyard. They get a seat with us. We have to do whatever we can to show them how much we love them. It's personal. It was personal for Jesus. It should be personal for us. So what do we need to do? Here are a couple of things to wrap this up. The first is we need to speak the language of culture. That was the very first gift of the Holy Spirit to the church on the day of Pentecost. It was to speak the wonders of God in the language of the people. That's been the first call of the church ever since, to speak the wonders of God in the language of the people. So we have to know and understand their language in order to speak it. It doesn't mean you have to love everything about culture, but you have to speak the language. The next, we need to give them interpretation, not just information. You've heard me say this before, it's so true. We need to help them interpret the information. They don't need you for information anymore. Smartphone, they will find it instantly. They need it for interpretation. A smartphone won't tell you what matters most. A smartphone won't tell you what they're going to need to flourish in their lives. They need you for that. They need us for that as a church. Third, we need to give them handwritten attention in a smartphone world. You know when you get a letter, 
and somebody took the time to write it out and to sign it, even sometimes if you can't read it, you're like, wow, somebody cared enough to take time and write this and put it in a little envelope. And we need to give them that kind of attention, not just sound bites. I want to share with you an opportunity as we wrap things up. I asked you, you know, what are you personally going to do? Here's an opportunity, and it, it's not for everyone. But what we really value and think is important, especially in our Sunday school, is to develop what we're calling small group leaders in the Sunday school space. And the idea is, again, because it's about warm is the new cool, it's about uh, community and connection, is that instead of having volunteers that come in for a week in Sunday school and then they're gone and there's another volunteer the next week, creating some consistency so that they develop relationship with the kids over time. We think that matters. And we, we installed this uh, strategy this last year, and it's been awesome. But we're already at our max. We, we've hit our ceiling unless we recruit some more small group leaders. And if you want to find out more about what that looks like, uh, you're invited to apply to be one of our small group leaders. They're, they're, they're selective because the mission really matters. And if they won't find a place for you as a small group leader, be assured they can find a place for you somewhere to help. But if you want to know more about what that looks like, our Next Gen Ministry team, we have some folks out in the lobby where you came in to answer questions about how you could become or apply to be a small group leader. And even if you feel like, well, that's not for me, that's okay. But I do want you to consider, how can I help this next generation win? Where can I find my opportunity to serve? This is the mission of the church, and the mission has never been any more important than it is right now. And believe me, we've got the Rocky Mountains in front of us, and a lot of it's going to be adaptive change. What do we do? I don't know. Let's figure it out. We can't stick our heads in the sand and hope it gets better or pray that it gets better. It's personal. Let's help the next generation win. Amen.